it's not on if that's what you're looking for. We're probably recording, though, or live or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, there we go. We are on air. Well, good morning, everyone, <clears throat> or afternoon or evening, whenever you happen to hear this message, um, teaching. Uh, this morning, I, I have two sermons to preach, but I'll only do one right now, and I'll wait and do the other one later. Um, today, I, as, as Brother Dennis uh, passes out the handout, um, I wanted to talk about the 12 disciples because it's, it's fascinating to me that these, these people, these specific individuals were chosen for the work of God. Um, and, and I wonder how it came about that it was these guys, these, these 12 dudes, um, because they were all of, of similar walk, uh, but with slight differences. And, and when you think about someone like Judas or Thomas um, or even the lesser known ones, you know, you wonder... Why him? Why not someone else? It was, and, and if there was someone else, um, why weren't they part of the inner circle or, or whatever? So I, I want to look at these disciples. Um, there, there's not a whole lot in the scripture about them. Um, but So where I could, I, I, I injected some, some of the word in there so that you could see um, the context that it talks about with them. And... Um, and let's just go through it. Let's see what happens. And, and we start off with, these are going to be in alphabetical order. And, because what's interesting, well, I'll get to that later. Uh, we're, they're going to start in alphabetical order. And we'll start with Andrew. Andrew was the brother of Simon Peter and the son of Jonas. He lived in Bethsaida and Capernaum. And he was a fisherman before Jesus called him. Which is a theme that you're going to see a lot in this. Because obviously a lot of people back then were fishermen. Um, there was obviously many, many different jobs, but, but I don't think it's a coincidence that, that Jesus liked to go after the fishermen. Um, specifically because if you look at the life of Jesus, it, it lended itself well to a fisherman's lifestyle. They were, they were meticulous. They were disciplined. They were people who rose up early in the morning in order to go and catch fish. You know, you don't do that in the middle of the afternoon. I, I, I don't go fishing. I'm not a fisherman myself, but I have been fishing a couple of times and um, like hunting or, or anything that you're going to get an animal, you have to go early in the morning when they are out feeding and doing all their things. Uh, in the middle of the day when it's hot, they're, they're not usually out and about because they're resting, right? So they're either early in the morning, late in the evening, and, and so these guys were early risers uh, in order to catch those fish. And, and I think Jesus, uh, again, appreciated that lifestyle. He understood it. He was, he was a part of it. Uh, Jesus was not a fisherman, unless you think of him as a fisher of men, um, which he was. He was a carpenter's son, and so more than likely you see him working with his father and, and learning the tools of the trade in, in carpentry. Um, Andrew was one of those fishermen, and he was originally a disciple of John the Baptist. And, and we see that here in John, the book of John chapter 1. And starting in verse 35, again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, what seek ye? 
And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? Where are you staying? And he said unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and said unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. So we see Andrew and, and we see him uh, following John the Baptist and, and learning as much as he can about the Messiah and, and, and the coming of the Christ and all this. Um, and, and we see as he's walking with John and learning and growing and, and, and trying to be a disciple, if you will, uh, John the Baptist all of a sudden says, look, that's him. That's the one. That's the son of God. And, and Andrew, immediately having been searching for this, uh, gets up and goes and follows him. And, and so as he's going to follow him, um, I feel bad for John. He's like, hey, wait, you were with me. Uh, but he leaves, Andrew leaves, and he goes with, with Jesus, and he asks Jesus, hey, where, where are you staying? Can I, can I just be with you for a, for a few and talk uh, about stuff? And, and Jesus says, yeah, come on over. Come and see where I'm staying. And, and so they stay together. They talk through the night. Uh, Jesus is teaching Andrew. He's talking to him about all the things that, that he's going to do here in the, in, on the earth to establish his kingdom. And then um, he gets up, Andrew, leaves and goes and gets his brother. And, and so what we know about Andrew, just from this small snippet of scripture, is that Andrew was someone that wanted others to follow Jesus. He had been looking for this his entire life. He had been a disciple of John looking for the Messiah and wanting to know him intimately as well as have others know him intimately. And so Andrew, uh, you can think of him as, the, as the, just the consummate missionary. He was always trying to find other people that would come and follow Jesus. And, and so um, as we look at the, the life of Andrew, and, and again, it's very short, we're done here pretty much. But as we look at the, at the life of Andrew, um, you, I, I wonder about Jesus and, and him together and, and, and look at his selection of the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, and Andrew being one of them because he knew that this was going to be someone that, that unreservedly continued to preach the gospel, that even after he was gone, he was going to go and, and fight for the kingdom, that he was going to go and, and be that missionary that, that Jesus wanted him to be. Um, Andrew was going to tell others, and that, that is something that Jesus wanted specifically after his death, um, but he knew that he had to train him up during his life. So let's go on to the next one, uh, Bartholomew or Nathaniel. History tells us that he was a great searcher of Scripture and a scholar in the Law and the Prophets. Um, he was of royal blood. His name means son of Tolmai or Talmai, and that's found in 2 Samuel chapter 3. And, David, and unto David were sons born in Hebron, and his firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, and his second Chiliab of Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite, and the third Absalom, the son of Makkah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. So there we see it. And the fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggioth, and the fifth, Shephatiah, the son of... Okay, I want to stop there. That's all. That's good. Imagine if your uh, grandson had been named one of these names, Brother Dennis. Wow. Should have injected one of those names into the, 
the four or five that he got. But there we see Makah, the daughter of Talmai, the king of Geshur. This is where uh, Bartholomew gets his namesake. So down the line, Bartholomew was of royal blood, and he hung out with these fishermen. He, he was probably someone uh, with a little bit of money because of that nobility. Uh, and if anything, you could think that he would have been you know, pompous or, or something like that. But, but what I see in him is truly a tender heart, someone that really wants to go after the heart of God. And, and despite his upbringing, despite the, the royalty that was in his blood, he was some, someone that was looking for God to do something here on this earth. Now, they, they all were. What we're going to find as we go through this is that many of them were, were Jewish nationalists. They, were, they, they hated the Roman Empire. They hated that they were uh, in, this, in this bondage of slavery to Rome and the requirements that Rome put upon them. And, and Jesus had to change their mindset as they're going through all this. And, and Bartholomew is one of those that did not really have to have his mindset changed a whole lot. Bartholomew was someone that was seeking the Lord and peace and, and prosperity and, and God doing his, uh, accomplishing his will on this earth. So let's look at John chapter 1, verse 45. And Philip found Nathanael and said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? The pastor wrote a book on this. Uh, so I'm not going to touch on it too much. And Philip said unto him, come and see. It, it's interesting, same words there, come and see that Jesus used earlier. Come and see. Look, come find out. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deception, no guile. And Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. It's interesting because back then, you didn't have a whole lot to do throughout the day, right? You would, you would go fishing in the morning. Uh, he, he was not a fisherman, but you would go fishing in the morning. Um, you would go and get some rest because you woke up really early, so you probably had uh, some breakfast. Then you probably took a nap. Then from that nap, you probably went on and did some chores, activities throughout the day. Uh, you probably hung out with friends. Uh, work was different back then. It, it wasn't the, the nine-to-five gruel that we think about. It was, it was as needed as you had uh, the wherewithal to go and work or to go and beg or to go and cook, whatever it is that you did, that's what you went and did throughout the day. But, but you were your own boss unless you worked for someone, and most everybody did not work for somebody unless they were slaves. But, but here we see Bartholomew, a, a guy with, with probably a little bit of wealth, um, hanging out. And, and you would have to imagine that, that Bartholomew does pretty much the same thing day in and day out, like many of us, right? We have a routine. I, I come home, uh, I get the girls settled, I, I get them a snack, I start dinner, the girls are watching TV. More than likely, you're gonna find the girls on the couch watching TV, right? So, so would it be prophetic for someone to come into this church and say, 
your daughters, I saw them on the couch watching TV. I mean, probably not, right? That's what they do. That's who they are. That is their activity, if you will. So for, so for Jesus to say, I saw you under the fig tree, I would have been like, I sit under the fig tree a lot. When was this, right? Pick a day. I was there, sure, but, but what is it that you saw? But he didn't react that way. Bartholomew hears what Jesus says. I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And he says immediately, you are the son of God. Why? Why would he say you are the son of God? I believe that, that Nathaniel did something under that fig tree. I believe that, that Nathaniel um, made a covenant with God at that point in time, that he said something to him, something akin to, Lord, if you're coming, I want to be a part of it. Show me what it is to be your son. Show me what it is to be your heir. Allow me to be a partaker of the, the kingdom taking that's going to happen here because I know, I know it's going to happen soon. I, I believe that Bartholomew, the Nathaniel, felt this in his spirit, in his heart, and he, he willfully submitted himself to God. And he said, I will do whatever it is that you want me to do. I believe there was a covenant made under the fig tree, and I believe it was made probably that day. And Jesus then comes and shows up, and he says, Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree. And, and he's establishing the fact that Bartholomew made a covenant and that he is here to establish that covenant. And that is why Bartholomew shouts out and says, you're the son of God. You're the one that I've been waiting for. You are the one that I've been wanting to call master. I'm going to follow you. Look at the passion that Bartholomew has. And, and Jesus, um, probably not astounded, says, hey, just because I said I saw you under the fig tree, guess what? There's more coming. I'm going to do so many things here on, in, on this earth. You're going to know that the kingdom of God is here. You're going to see, you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You're going to see miracles happening. And so that Bartholomew, to me, is one of those people that, that Jesus called because Bartholomew openly um, submitted himself to the call of God. He said, Lord, I will do whatever it is that you want me to do. I, I am open and, and willing. And it's interesting for this to come from a man with blood, uh, royal blood in, in his veins, um, for someone who could have been, um, de not deceitful, uh, who could have been arrogant, right? Who could have been lording over people and, and accustomed to a certain way of lifestyle. Jesus did not live that lifestyle. So for Bartholomew to say, I submit everything, I think was one of the reasons that Jesus chose this man in particular. James the Elder. He was one of the sons of thunder, Boanerges, uh, a son of Zebedee and Salome, brother of John the Apostle. He was actually the first cousin or a first cousin of Jesus, not the very first cousin that Jesus ever had. He was a cousin and he was a first cousin. Uh, he was a fisherman who lived in Bethsaida, also a member of the inner circle along with Peter and John. And he and his brother were inseparable. They were thick as thieves, these two. Um, wherever you find the brother, you will find James. And it came to pass, we're reading in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them 
and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night, have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at your word I will let down the net. And when, he had, when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net broke. And they beckoned both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, uh, I'm sorry, they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Interesting. James, John, Simon Peter, fishermen. We see them here working together. When you, know, when you, when you have a community like uh, fishermen, uh, I, I think of it in, in my terms at the community of truckers. You know, when, when you go out on the road, uh, truckers are, are a, uh, a unique band of people. They're, it's the same as, as bikers, you know. They're, they're people that, that have a very specific lifestyle, very specific way of being, um, and, and they become basically a brotherhood. And, and when you talk about something like truckers, you know, they, they have special signals, and they, they help each other out, and you'll hear them over the radio. You'll hear them over the radio uh, warning each other, hey, there's a cop on this road. Be careful. You know, he's out there clocking people, etc. Um, you know, they, they try to tell each other the best way stations and all this stuff, right? They're, they're a brotherhood. Uh, the same thing is true uh, here for fishermen, right? They're, they're a brotherhood, and, and they, they toil all day. They have uh, the same types of, of discipline. They have the same types of lifestyle. They, they enjoy the same things. Um, and, and we see here that, that Peter and James and John um, fished in the same area, right? And, and there's so many fish out there in the sea, but they knew that they could cooperate and do better than if they, they tried to co compete and keep each other from a specific lifestyle or, or living, if you will. So James, whom we're talking about, James the elder, is here with his brother. They're out fishing. Jesus is on land preaching. They're, they're probably sitting on their boats, mending their nets and, and doing stuff. Um, and, and Jesus gets on a boat and says, hey, launch out. Let's go out here. Let's, let's go catch some fish. And, and these guys are like, well, Lord, look, we've, we've tried this. It, it's already, it's late. Uh, we haven't caught anything. It, it's really not going to work. But, but since you're asking and since I respect the things that you were saying as a teacher, as a rabbi, I'll go out, right? As a respect to you, I'll go out. And so they go out. And, and when they let down the net, um, they catch a multitude of fish, right? The, the miracle of the fish. And, and he calls his buddies. They call their buddies, and they, they're coming over, and they catch so many fish that both of the boats are filled. And these aren't probably little tiny rowboats, right? They're a little bit bigger than that. And, and so for it to be filled with fish is, is a miracle. And, and Peter, you see him get down on his face and on his knees, and he says, Lord, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I'm a sinner. Please 
depart from me. I'm not worthy. And, and he calls him at that point in time. But he also calls James and John. And James is here with his brother um, almost as an afterthought. Really what we see from James is him following Peter and him following John, these, these sons, the son, other son of Zebedee. Um, he understood the power of networking. He's, he's probably the one that came up with this idea of, hey, let's do this thing, this fishing thing together in, in order to really expand our, our uh, business and, and move forward with the fish. The interesting thing here is that as many fish as they caught when they brought them into land, they, they just let them go. They said, we're done. We're, they're going to force it. They forsook all and went to follow Jesus. This is a huge, huge investment that they just give up in order to follow Jesus. And so you see these guys really having of, of like mind and moving forward with what God wanted them to do. Um, but, but again, as before Jesus really called them, he was in partnership with Simon Peter as a fisherman. So let's look at the, uh, the next one. And, and really, this is one of the reasons you see this, this idea of the inner circle, right? Um, the, the inner circle was these three guys right here. What, what, we, what we remember is that they were cousins. So one of the reasons that they were willing to respect Jesus and go out is because they knew each other. They, they had a, a relationship already. They, they probably liked Jesus before he was, quote, unquote, Jesus, right? They, they, they knew him. They loved him. They probably hung out. And, and for them to say, for him to say, hey, let's go out, there was a level of, of respect and authority uh, from a brotherly perspective and, and less so from a kingdom perspective until this happened right here. Let's talk about James the lesser or the younger. They, they are not related. James was the son of Alphaeus or Cleophas and Mary. He was brother of the apostle Jude, author of the epistle James, and some scholars believe he was also the brother of Matthew. And that's content, um, there's, there's some contention around that. Some scholars believe, hey, that's, that's malarkey. That's not true. But I put it in there because it's a possibility. We, we really don't see in scripture uh, this, this being named out. Um, but potentially James was also the brother of Matthew. And, and if he was, possibly some sort of half-brother. The, the wonderful thing about James, there's, there's not a whole lot that is said about James, but, but the beauty of James is that he actually wrote an epistle, and so we can see some of the things that he was either struggling with uh, or was able to get out of this relationship with Jesus. Uh, faith without works is dead, and we find that in James chapter 2. We need to bridle the tongue in James chapter 3. Submit to God, resist the devil, James chapter 5. Amazing themes uh, when you think about James and his life with Jesus. James is someone who followed Jesus, obviously, one of the, one of the disciples. And, and the thing that he got most out of working with Jesus is that, look, you have to have faith. I get it. You have to believe and, and that there's nothing that you can do um, to get to heaven or, or that will keep you from heaven if you are in line with Jesus, right? That's, he knows that. But what he, was, what he was arguing was that you cannot have this faith in Jesus and then just sit back and watch the show. It's not a spectator sport. That Christianity is something that because of your faith, you will work to help others. Faith without those works is dead. 
So he's not arguing that you have to do works in order to get to heaven or to have faith, but because of your faith, you are going to do works. And, and it's something that um, is, is debated back and forth throughout Christendom because of this whole idea of Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And it's interesting, and I'm going to get into preaching, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, it's interesting because this world right now is in that place, in this place where uh, I've, I've been reading articles, and, and, and Brother Mark alluded to some of this stuff uh, when he spoke on Wednesday, but, but I've been reading some articles and, and snippets uh, on what others believe, and, and one of those things was that um, the Christ and Jesus were, were two separate entities, that, that the human Christ is, is like a little boy holding onto a kite string and that the Christ is the kite. And so they are, they are connected to this world in that way, but, but, but in reality, they are separate and that this, the Christ, the anointing, because, because Christ is not Jesus' last name, we all know that, but because this, this anointing overarches the earth and that, that anybody can be saved, whether you're atheist or Muslim, because Jesus came and died for all sin. And, and I, I read that and I'm thinking, but it's not what the scripture says. The Bible specifically says, and, and I, I, I went down this whole rabbit trail of stuff, but um, the Bible specifically says that to them that believe salvation comes. I don't want to get too deep into it, but, but this theme right here, faith without works, is something that, that trips people up. And, and James, that was not James's intention. What he saw in the life of Christ was that Jesus was constantly working for the Lord. He was constantly um, blessing the poor, healing the sick, raising the dead, giving sight to the blind. He was, he was touching lives. He was forgiving. He was, um, he was doling out grace and mercy to those that needed it. And, and to those that rejected him, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he was rebuking. He was constantly working to show them that, that the, the path to God is in action, not just in, in word, but in deed. And, and so that is really what James got out of this. And, and I believe that, that one of the reasons that Jesus chose James was because of his practicality, because of his heart for people. And, and that's what we see in these themes that he's writing in the Bible, right? Another one, bridle the tongue. Look, be careful what you say. You can't just go around and, and saying things willy-nilly because it, it is damaging to others, but it also damages you. You know, we, we've, I remember in um, um, Mighty Kids, before it was Mighty Kids, when I was in kids' church um, helping, because I wasn't, I wasn't here when I was that young, but... Um, when I was helping in kids' church, I remember we did an, a, a um, what are those sermon um, helper things called? Anyway, you, you get what I'm trying to say. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. Illustrated sermon. Uh, someone got a bag of feathers, and, and they took those feathers, um, and, and they had them in a, a pillowcase, and then they uh, had a, a fan and they poured the pillowcase over the fan and the fan just obviously threw all the feathers out and the kids would run around we'd grab all the feathers and and invariably there were always feathers missing right always finding little tiny feathers and for weeks we kept finding feathers and and the lesson there was you can say things but you're all there's always going to be an aftermath to you you there you could never take it back 
The other one they did was they got a, a, a tube of toothpaste. And they squished out all the toothpaste. And then they said, okay, now put it back in. And obviously you can't put it back in. Um, and, and so, again, the illustration of you bridling the tongue, you cannot take back what you said because now it's out there and now it's been heard and you know, now it hurts. Those are the types of things that James was trying to teach. And, and in him following Jesus, uh, one of the major themes, that last one there, is what Jesus was trying to instill in the disciples. Submit to God, resist the devil. Do what God has called you to do, but you have to withstand what the enemy is trying to do in your life. So I believe that's one of the reasons that, that Jesus had James as a disciple. John, we've got to go through these quickly. We're running out of time. John, another son of thunder, uh, son of Zebedee and Salome, brother of James the elder, again, a first cousin of Jesus. He was the beloved disciple, also a fisherman who lived in Bethsaida, a member of the inner circle along with Peter and James, and, and wrote... Uh, the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. Um, he was one of the few people, one of the few disciples that was not martyred for his uh, faith, but died of natural causes, even though he was obviously punished. He, he went to prison. He, he did all sorts of stuff in the name of faith, uh, or, or all sorts of stuff were done against him in the name of his faith, but was not one that was martyred or, or murdered or killed, or however you want to say it. For that faith. Let's look at Mark chapter 1, verse 19. When he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. It's interesting here because. You, you kind of skip over it very quickly, but you see here that they left their father Zebedee in the ship with hired servants. Uh, so obviously it was a lucrative business. They had enough money to have hired servants. Um, so, so when we think about the investment that we read in Luke chapter five that they left, the, the draft of fishes that they caught, um, that was again, a ton of money. And that was something that was going to continue to seed whatever business they had. And, and so when I say that they left it, right, I'm not saying that it was spoiled and, and gone. Their father took over, but, but imagine the gains that those brothers would have had from that, right? That was, that was their catch. Yes. It was different. It was very different, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why we're also saying, look, imagine the size of that boat because this was a business. It wasn't just some hobby or, or some livestock, I, I need to catch fish to eat or live, feed my family, it wasn't a rowboat. It had to be some, some large boat enough for them to catch all those fish. Well, and that you think about servants or people that they hired, they really didn't have any investment in the business, mm -hmm. but these guys, it was a family business that they walked away from, which, yeah. which was a much bigger deal. Much bigger deal. It was huge. And, and you really don't see them saying, hey, Dad, we love you, we got to go. They, they got up and left. <laughs> They just went. Ciao. Ciao. They probably hated that life. I mean, it's a hard lifestyle, so maybe they hated it. Maybe not. But still. But still. It made them money. They were, you know, they had, they had means because of it. Because of it. Yeah. Absolutely. And and the means were not insignificant. I think that's the the important part here is the means were not insignificant. And so for them to, for you to see that they have servants here, tells you something, right? How many of us? Um, 
we'll, we'll leave a promotion. We'll leave a, a lifestyle that you're in business, and maybe it's not your business. Maybe you work for somebody. Maybe you're a director, VP, whatever, but you're, you're up there, right? How many of us would be willing to leave that and, and, and go and just serve the Lord? It, it's hard. It really is. You know, I, I think about um, in, in 20 years when, when pastor decides that he wants to retire, right? Maybe 30 years. He'll when, be dead. Yeah. He's going to never leave. That's right. He's going to be here for the long run. But, but I imagine when, when pastor decides that he does want to retire and relinquish um, the, the pulpit, you know, who, what will happen at that point? Where will I be in my career if, if the church wanted me to be the head pastor or, or anybody else, right? Where will that person be in their career to say, yes, I will give up everything and, and go and do this thing that is, that is thankless, this thing that, uh, that is hard, uh, that the investment that has to go into something like this, the ministry, right, of Jesus. And so I think it's sounding weird, but that's how I see John and, and why I believe um, – John loved Jesus so much because he gave him everything. He, he gave up everything that he had in order to go and follow Jesus. And, and to give that much up, it was a huge investment. Jesus, John is the one that we call the beloved, right? You have a question? Another question over here. Well, just to add to what you're saying, you know, we read about the house of Zebedee in Jerusalem. Mm. And uh, that is very much believed to be John's father, Zebedee. And uh, when John got Peter into the door, he spoke to the young lady who opened the door who knew him already. And it gives weight to the fact that not only was that business there in the Sea of Galilee, but it extended down into Jerusalem. Right. And they supplied the fish for the temple. And so it's a huge enterprise. Yeah, huge. Yeah. But too, one of the things that I um, that just I noticed about this, I know we're doing a lot of stuff isn't in here, but one of the things that it says or you put in here is that he was a first cousin of Jesus, right? Well, the thing is, is that this family knew. I, I don't believe that Jesus all of a sudden just went, oop. I'm going to start ministry. I, you know, they knew how he was born. They, knew, you know, the, this was a family yeah. thing. So I think when he came to him and said, "Okay, let's go," I think they were ready. Yeah. I mean, they knew they had already been living. You know, this they probably were following him anyway, and his teaching because he started doing that as a child even. So you know, he didn't just do it one time in the temple. Yeah. You know, this is probably his father was gone. He was the leader of his family, so he was already teaching. I think that until, you know, he had to show that he had power to do other things than, than just teach, um, you know, this family, they had to know. They had to be like, yep. Well, well yeah. You know, it's even like Jesus' siblings. Uh, yeah. They, they knew that Jesus believed it, even though they did not. Yeah. They knew that Jesus believed it. Yeah. And James, you can see looking, I mean, John looking at, at his, his uh, spiritual connectedness you know with revelation and the things that he had there was probably just a very deep spiritual he was a, probably a very deeply spiritual person to begin with so I think that um, you know we can't surmise exactly what happened by dad Logan all this but you know what I mean I think that there was already that in him that he knew that 
a foundation of faith. Yeah, he had that. Yeah, he yeah. had that foundation of faith. That as soon we as don't know what they shared as close. If they were close cousins, what yeah. they shared about, you know, if they ever had intimate talks, where you know, that. a day is coming when these things will begin, or you don't know yeah. if those happened or not. I mean, certainly they had conversations because. We all have conversations with our family. Yeah. And, and Zebedee may have heard it was a family. Yeah. Yeah. And even, though, even though this was a big business, you know, Zebedee, even the father, may have been like, yeah, that's, you know, the expectation. Once that happened, it's like, yeah, Zebedee may have. Yeah, it's like, here it goes, you know. It's I, happening. Yeah. yeah. It's time. So yeah, because, you know, you out. again, you, the, we, we hear the stories of the prophet is not without honor except in his own home. Jesus, we know his first miracle was the uh, the wedding of Canaan. So we know he wasn't going off and just doing strange things as a child. But you're right. He, he was having those conversations. He was telling, look, this he, he did it when he was 12, right? Here's what I believe. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what the father is doing. And they're taking these things to heart as, wow, he's really he's really philosophical. He's, he's a really bright and smart kid. And, and they loved him as a cousin. Um, but, but they didn't believe in him as the Christ until this moment, until they really saw. Is it the little mics? It's because you guys are talking. Um, That's right. They, they, they really didn't see him until they were with him in this context. So it, it's fascinating that, that he chose his cousins, right? Because you have to believe there's others in the family that he could have chosen. But he chose these guys. They were probably one of the most receptive in his family, those that really wanted to move along with the kingdom of God. And the same can be said of John the Baptist. Yeah. Who knew Jesus. Who knew Jesus. But he'd never seen him in that way. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it's like something clicked, right? Well, the revelation. I mean, you know, it's just the same with us. We can read the word a thousand times, but until the Spirit brings until the, it yeah. forth as a revelation, you know, you're just not going to see it. Only yeah. the Spirit can reveal the truth right. and hide the eyes from the truth. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 interesting. Uh, so let's talk about Judas. We'll go through these fairly quickly. Yeah, Judas. One in a minute. One per minute. <laughs> one per minute. Judas, the traitor. Um, he, I, I put it in quotes, living his truth. That, that's a theme that's come out in this world, uh, in this day and age, right? Live your truth. And, and it's something that I'll probably touch on in, in my sermon this afternoon or this uh, later today. Um, about living his truth, believing what he believed and saying that that is me. That just, you know, you can't judge me. That's who I am. Uh, he was a zealot. He was one of those Jewish nationalists that, that wanted to see the kingdom of God come in a, in a very violent and explosive way. Uh, he was also the keeper of the bag. Um, in John 12, he says, then says one of his disciples, Judas, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment? Speaking of the ointment that, that um, she was pouring on his feet, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This, he said, not that he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the bag and bear what was put therein. So, you know, one for me, one for the church. One for me, one for the church, right? That is what Judas was living. And, and Judas, it's fascinating that Judas saw the miracles of Jesus. And he heard the stories, and he probably was raised, because of his Judaism, he was raised knowing that, that the Christ was going to come, and then he was the Son of God. And, and as much as these other guys are saying, he's the Son of God, he's the Son of God, he's the Son of God, look at the miracle, look at the miracle, 
that Judas would even have the wherewithal to say, I'm going to do it my way. Forget what he wants. He's going to come in and he's going to uh, explode out here and, and destroy this, this, uh, this Roman kingdom. It should have happened. He was trying to force Forced the it. plague. Yes. And so in that way, he was he was trying to make the agenda happen, you know, either in his own way, like you yes. said. And that's just where we get in trouble. That, yeah. It, it's either my way or we your know, way, Lord. We, you know, the Lord tells us something, and we put our spin on it, or yeah. we try to make it happen in the way we think it should happen. And there's trouble there. There is trouble there. Well, and we see it with Judas, yeah. because... How do you not submit? You know, it, it's one thing for us to believe when, when physically Jesus isn't here, right? We feel him when we worship and, and his presence and all that. We know that Jesus is with us, that God is with us, and, and, and we stumble, right? Because when we separate ourselves from God in that way, that then the enemy comes in or our emotions, whatever you want to call it, come in, and they start to, to take over our desires, but to be there physically with Jesus as he's healing someone, how do you not feel that? I don't think it was that. I think he thought he could make Jesus rise up and do what he was supposed to do. I don't think he ever anticipated no. that Jesus was going to be crucified. I, I think, yeah, I think he thought that, that Jesus, would withstand Jesus is going to, because 10,000 angels are going to come yeah. and protect him, I'm going to force that hand and I'm right. going to usher in that kingdom. That's why I don't, I don't think he intended for that. I, I, don't, I don't think so, and that's why he killed himself. I think he was, he realized I made a huge mistake. Yeah, that, that was bad. That was probably not good. And 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 we know that obviously Jesus died for our sins, and this this was the manifestation of that, right? Um, did Judas cause his death? I, I would say no. He was gonna die anyway, and and this was this was maybe the the way that it had to happen. But uh, but I don't blame Judas for Jesus's death. There is no blame. Jesus sacrificed himself. What we see here, however, is, is a telling story for us, and I, that's why I believe Jesus picked Judas, because he knew. He knew, I, I need people to see this. If you are going to do it your way, this is what's going to happen, and you will end up losing in the end. And, and we all know Judas lost in the end. He killed himself. He lost everything. He wasn't able to move beyond this or past this uh, because he wasn't willing to submit to God. We have to be very careful to submit to God. All right, Jude. Uh, also known as Thaddeus or Labius, son of Alphaeus and Cleophas and Mary. He was the brother of James the Younger. So you see a lot of siblings in this thing. In Mark 3.18, he's called Thad. In Matthew 10, he's called Labius. In Luke 6.16 in Acts 1, he is called the brother, Judas, the brother of James. He's the one, uh, many believe, that wrote the uh, epistle of Jude. And, and the themes in that book include the necessity of resisting false teachers and the requirement for believers to continually build up their own faith. I believe this was because of someone like Judas. He saw that, and he said, you have got to build yourself up. You have got to stay in alignment with uh, the word of God. You have to resist false teachers. Um, it's interesting how this theme, too, is woven throughout Scripture, resisting false teachers. You know, our, our foundation is the Holy Scripture, the word of God, and we have to keep that as the central focus point. Um, I, I, I missed the reference here. I'll, I'll have to find it for you. But it says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. It's just Jude 20. It's Jude 1.20. Yeah. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> 
because there's only one chapter in the book of Jude. See, we have Bible scholars in the room who know. Um, Jude one twenty. The, again, the theme is resisting false teachings and, and continually building up your faith. So Matthew, we have, what, 10 minutes now? Matthew, son of Alphaeus, uh, again, why some people believe that he could have been a brother, um, but it was probably just another Alphaeus. We don't know. Tax collector, publican, possibly brother of James the Lesser, wrote the gospel according to Matthew. It, it is essentially a bridge between the Jews and Jesus. I, I believe Jesus knew that and picked him for this reason. He knew that he was going to be uh, one of his, his biggest advocates. He has five discourses. I won't read them. They're here for you to look at. Um, but, but Matthew truly understand that Jesus was here to change the hearts and the minds of the Jewish community. That was Matthew's purpose. Notice that, that he's also called Levi. That's part of his name, right? We know that, that in the Old Testament, the Levites were the priests. So Matthew essentially became a priest for the Jewish nation to transition them into understanding or knowing the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I wonder, why was it Matthew the one who held the bag? It, it makes logical sense because Matthew was a tax collector for him to hold the money. You know, he's already got this accounting background. Um, and, and I wonder if it was a temptation for him, you know, like, like an alcoholic or a drug addict to, to say, um, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to have anything to do with the money because that is my old life and I want to move forward into my new life. Uh, so I, I wonder about that. I wonder if that was one of the reasons you don't see him being the accountant. But, but as Matthew is moving forward in, in the life that God had called him to, you really see him um, being disciplined about writing the things that Jesus is saying and making sure that, it, that it's a story that can be told beyond the life of Jesus. He knew, he knew in his heart and his spirit that Jesus was gonna die. He was telling them that, right? I'm gonna die, I'm, I'm gonna be gone soon. Um, and so Matthew took it upon himself to write these things. And, and more than likely he was keeping a journal, taking notes, didn't write this until after Jesus died and, and really collected it and put it together. Uh, probably used notes from other people uh, from Mark and, and from others, but, but in his story, he's essentially saying these are the words that Jesus wants you to hear. The, the discourses, again, I'm not going to read them, but they're there for you. These are the discourses. These are the life lessons that you need to know about Jesus. Peter, son of Jonas, fisherman, brother of Andrew, he was a member of that inner circle. Again, probably because of the, the relationship with the cousins, James and John, uh, it's interesting, he's always listed first in every apostolic list. Peter, James, John, and all these people are listed after Peter. Uh, and, and I believe Jesus really saw something in this guy. They, they'd probably been hanging out for uh, a long time in, in their life together. Um, again, as, as, as young men, as, as children, they were raised together. He was probably part of the, the fishing enterprise, a partner in that. Um, his name, Simon, and Cephas both mean rock. No surprise there. And, and he was probably one of the most inquisitive and headstrong of the group. We see that in Scripture when he, when he tells Jesus certain things. Hey, that's not going to happen. Get thee behind me, Satan, right? Or, or Lord, we will die with you, right? That, that, no, no, no. You're, you're, you're going to deny me before the, the cock even crows thrice. So G Simon Peter was one of those people that was very passionate about what G who Jesus was and what he was doing, probably from having been raised with him for a very long time. 
one of the few people who went and saw the, uh, the transfiguration, right? Again, inner circle, um, a part of Jesus' life, and, and I believe Jesus needed that. I think he needed the camaraderie that he had as a child to ground him here on this earth to this life and, and recognize and remember these are my people, right? These are the ones that I love. Not that, that he needed reminding, but, but I think we as humans, and Jesus was human, need that companionship. We need that, that ability to be with one another. These were his people. Philip, uh, most likely a fisherman, doesn't say explicitly, um, but he really comes to life. It should say life, not live. He really comes to life after the resurrection. Uh, he's the one that led the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ in Acts chapter 8. Again, I, I won't read it. We know the story. He's, he's talking to the eunuch. Um, actually, this is a different one. So let me read it. John chapter 1, 43. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and found Philip and said unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And then Philip went to find Nathanael and said unto him, We have found him. Um, and Nathanael said, Can there be any good coming out of Nazareth? And Philip said, Come and see. So again, interesting that he would say, Let me prove it to you. Come with me. I'm, I'm not going to tell you the story. I'm going to show you the story. And that's really the life of Philip after the resurrection. He goes, and he, and he not only he does he talk the talk, but he walks the walk. I believe Jesus chose Philip because he needed someone that was going to carry on the message afterwards. Philip was one of those people that kind of stayed in the background throughout Jesus' life. And it wasn't until after the resurrection that Philip really stood up and said, okay, now, now it's my time. It's my time to carry on the torch. You really don't see that from a lot of the other disciples. Um, obviously, there's some, Matthew and Peter and others. But Philip is one of those that really took on that torch and moved it forward, and that's what Jesus was looking for. Simon the Zealot, this one's going to be short. Very little is known about Simon. We know he's a zealot, most likely a Jewish nationalist like Judas. Uh, he had a deep hatred for Rome and the occupation of his land. It, it's interesting. Um, it just goes to show you the influence that Jesus had on these guys. For him to hate Rome and be this Jewish nationalist and hang out with a guy like Matthew. Because Matthew was a tax collector. He, he worked for Rome. He worked against the people. He was collecting money. Uh, that they hated tax collectors, publicans, because they, uh, like, like in the Nazi days, right, they submitted themselves to that authority and would tell on the Jews. And, and in fact, we, we know of the, the influence that tax collectors had. They would, they would uh, lend money and then charge uh, interest, and they would keep of that, some of that for themselves. They, they were uh, invited or encouraged to do that kind of thing because it, it allowed the Romans to have a hold on the Jewish community. And so for Simon the Zealot and Matthew to get along just shows you how much influence Jesus had in changing their lives. I believe that Jesus chose Simon because of his zeal, because he was someone that was going to um, expand the kingdom of God and, and be a, a really a hard worker for what he needed to do. Uh, so I, I really see Simon in a very evangelistic way working with Jesus in order to accomplish the the, the kingdom business. And then finally we get to Thomas. And then we'll end here. Known as Doubting Thomas, very pessimistic. There's some the scriptures for you to read, John 14 and John 11. And in one of them, um, not in one of these, but, but in scripture we see Thomas doubting and, and saying, look, it, unless I touch 
that, that hole uh, in his side and his hand, I'm, I'm not going to believe. Right? He was a very pessimistic but practical man. And, and I, I, I believe that Jesus chose Thomas because of that. As a Christian, I have doubts. As a, as a, a follower of Christ, there are things that, that crop into my mind that I don't voice, that I hold to myself, and, and I wonder. And, and, and I believe that all of them had similar doubts. They were all going through things in their lives. Thomas was the guy that was going to stand up and question. He was the one that was going to say, no, no, but wait, but wait, look at this. We'll, we'll read it now. Um, Jesus says in, in John 14, look, I'm, I'm going to build these mansions. I, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Um, and, and whether I go, you know not. And, and Thomas said in verse 5, Lord, we know not where you're going. How can we know how to get there? It's something that I'm sure all of them were thinking. You're, you're talking, because he did this all the time, right? Jesus was talking in these nebulous, abstract phrases. And, and they were always wondering, what, what are you talking about? I don't get it yet. And, and Jesus got onto them for that. He's like, guys, open your eyes, open your ears. I'm, I'm saying, I'm speaking truth to you. You just got to learn how to receive it. Thomas was one of those that says, Lord, I don't get it. Lord, I just don't get it. Explain it to me. And because of that, I believe that Jesus was able to explain it to the rest of the group as well. And so I, I think Jesus invited that. He wanted not, not for people to question him, but for people to want to understand. And that's who Thomas was. Thomas wanted to understand. He wanted to believe. And, and Jesus saw that in him. And that's why, that's why he wanted him with him and his, his band of Mary followers. So uh, that was my study. Obviously, we could go a lot deeper. There's a lot of historical things that, that we could look into, but I, I wanted to just focus on Scripture and what it says in there. Um, and, and I just I, I find it interesting that these guys were the ones that were chosen, but they were chosen for a reason. And, and I believe it tells us, too, that, hey, we're chosen for a reason, too. We just need to find that purpose and, and submit it to God. So... Father, thank you for choosing us. We love you, and, and we look forward to what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen.